Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone. Thank, uh, welcome to Strength to Strength. Thank you all for gathering in this way this morning. It's a privilege to be able to do this. Uh, this morning we have with us Tim Kupfer. Um, he's a Sattler student, lives in Boston with his wife and two children, I believe. Um, three children, same as me. Um, so before we get going here, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Righteous God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We just thank you for your love and your mercy to us. We thank you that we can, we can gather in this way and be encouraged and be strengthened in the faith. We pray that your spirit would rest on Tim this morning, that he would speak freely and clearly, and that your holy will would be revealed to us. We pray that through this, our lives could be um, built up in the faith and that we would be strengthened and that your kingdom could come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just be with each one, prepare each one of our hearts to hear truth spoken. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself there, Tim, and go ahead. Right, thank you. I'm going to share my screen here. All right. Well, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, grace and peace to everyone. Um, I feel honored to to be speaking on this forum and honestly a bit terrified. Uh, this this subject is is not an easy one to talk about, and yet I'm passionate about it and I'm excited about about sharing the things that that I've learned over the years. So I guess just a little intro about myself. Um, I love the church and I really, really love my family. I am passionate about doing evangelism and disciple making. Um, and I'm also very passionate about helping, helping men um, gain freedom from their sexual addictions. So currently, like was said, studying at Sattler College, have a few more years left and um, possibly preparing to move to North India after that. So there's, there's two main questions that I want to try to address in this talk. And they're, they're really big questions, so I certainly don't have all the answers. And uh, maybe I'm even trying to cover, cover too much, but I'm going to take a shot here. So the first question is, how can families and churches safely navigate the age of the internet in a sexualized world? The second question is, what tools are effective for setting men and women free from addictive sexual sin? <clears throat> so hopefully I can give a few answers to these questions. First of all, I just wanna look at uh, the, the reality of our world today. As Bryant had mentioned, um, especially now in the time of COVID and quarantining, a lot, um, a lot of things are going online. The internet is being used more heavily than ever before. 
and it's only made the problem of internet pornography and, and related things a lot worse. So there's a quote from a website called enough.org that says, it's probably not unrealistic to say that porn makes up 30% of the total data transferred across the internet. And it's just really a, a sobering um, and, and sad reality. Um, it, it's mind blowing how big an industry the internet is and how much data is actually transferred and to think that 30% of that is pornography um, is, is really, really sobering reality. And it, I don't know what their definition of pornography is. Um, so the reality could be that it's even higher. I like to define it, pornography, as anything written, auditory, or visual intended to sexually arouse. So there, there's so, so many things like that on the internet. Um, there's things all around our world, signs, magazines, news, advertisements. Um, a lot of these things take, um, yeah, basically include elements that intend to sexually arouse to, to try to draw people in. So internet porn pornography is, so, is such a powerful force for a number of reasons. First of all, it's very affordable. So um, you can basically find anything you want for free on the internet now. You don't have to pay for it anymore. Um, it's also available. So on any device that, that accesses the internet, phones, computers, or anything, um, it's just at the, at the tip of your fingers. And um, this availability makes it a really powerful force. And also it's anonymous. So you don't have to go to a store and buy it anymore. You can, you can access it from uh, the quietness of your room and uh, you can look at it day after day and no one needs to find out, no one needs to know. Uh, so that that's also makes it powerful. It's also becoming a lot more aggressive. So um, there's a lot more violence involved and it's becoming a lot more deviant as time goes on. So those, those four things, affordable, available, anonymous, and aggressive, make internet pornography such a, a dangerous, dangerous force that um, we as the church must know how to, to navigate if we want to live holy lives. So there's a couple of statistics that uh, I got from Pure Desire Ministries as well, that 68% of Christian men struggle with unwanted sexual behavior. So they, they have this behavior that they would like to stop, but they can't stop. And then there's 25 to 30% of Christian women struggle with sexual dependency issues. So it's worded a little bit different because sometimes um, their struggles look a little bit different than men's. However, um, there, there are many women who also struggle with pornography and, um, and other sexual addictions that look a bit different. Also, 57% of pastors have a, have a current or past struggle with pornography. Um, I don't know exactly the, the church um, denominations or demographics of where they're getting this from, um, but I think it's probably safe to say that this is um, across the board in churches. Also, 91% of men and 60% of women had accessed pornography in the last 30 days. And that's a really, really astounding number. And it, it's always uh, tempting for us to think that uh, these numbers probably apply to some, some churches or people out there, but they, don't, they, they, they can't apply to 
to my church or my group of people. However, I just want to challenge that, um, that I, I think in many ways, even, even conservative Anabaptist churches um, haven't, haven't done very well with this. The statistics um, for our churches are really good when it comes to, to divorce and remarriage, but I think the more secretive sins like this um, are, are probably just as bad as, as the rest of the churches and um, probably not, not so much better than the rest of the world. And you, you can challenge me on that. Um, I've, I've not seen everything, but um, from my experience in different Bible schools and different places, um, I've just seen that, at least with youth, um, there's there's a vast majority of them that, that struggle with this issue. So I think we need to be realistic. And I would encourage anybody to to do an anonymous uh, survey in your church or, or just try to find out, um, because we tend to think everything's okay, but because this is such a, a private sin and a private struggle, um, often we have no idea what's actually going on within our church. So I just wanted to start um, briefly with this, the, the reality here um, to hopefully give us uh, a sense of, of, of the seriousness of this problem um, that hopefully can spur us on to action. Here's a picture of my family and I just wanted to, to share my story really briefly here uh, to show that, that of, of all people, I'm, I'm the worst of sinners and I don't have any um, I don't have anything to, to boast about personally. However, by the grace of God, um, I have, yeah, a beautiful wife and, and these three beautiful children. And I'm so grateful to God for entrusting them to me, despite my, my unfaithfulness in the past. There's a quote from Dr. Ted Roberts that um, really describes me in my upper teens before I, I gained freedom from these things. He said, there's no greater prison than the one people find themselves in when they love Christ with all their hearts, but are slowly choking to death as the noose of sexual addiction strangles the spiritual life out of them. So I was about 14 years old when I came across internet pornography. And at this time, I don't think a lot of people realized um, what, what might be on the internet. We were just starting to use it in our homes. Um, and... I I hated it. I didn't like it. I was ashamed, um, but found myself going back a couple months later and became more and more frequent as it turned into an addiction for me. So I didn't, I knew I couldn't let anybody know what was happening. And so this secrecy and this shame just, just kept on tearing me down and, and drove me deeper, deeper into this pit in my, in my upper teen years. And I think a lot of a lot of it, I, I didn't want to be doing this. I hated it. Um, I, I loved Jesus and I wanted to serve him. Um, and yet, I think a lot of it was just lack of, of knowledge. Maybe I didn't take it serious enough. Uh, lack of guidance and discipleship <clears throat> resulted in, in many long, long years of a very disheartening struggle uh, with pornography. So... At this time, uh, I, I really started becoming passionate for serving Christ, for doing evangelism, for, for following after Christ. And I really wanted to be free from my sin, um, but I was just slowly choking to death, as this quote talks about, as uh, this, this noose of sexual addiction was just strangling 
the spiritual life out of me. And I think um, it's safe to say that there are many others out there in our churches who might not be showing it, but but we're struggling with spiritual life because we have this issue kind of in the back corner of our lives um, as a result of of the availability um, of pornography and the fact that um, often it's such a secret struggle. <clears throat> so by God's grace, as I gained more knowledge, as I started um, implementing more, more tools and had uh, a lot better um, discipleship um, from others, I, I gained the, the hoped for freedom from this sexual sin of pornography. And I'm so thankful that God's grace is great enough to deliver anybody um, from from the struggle. And I will say that uh, I, I'm still, I'm still, I still need a lot of, of structure uh, in my life. And I have a lot of structure uh, to keep me from going down this road again. And it's an ongoing struggle and battle for me. So I don't want to make it sound like it's all roses now. Um, however, I'm, I'm really thankful for the things that I've learned along the way that have helped me gain this freedom. Right, so the first thing I want to talk about is this culture of grace that, that I believe we need to, we need to develop uh, within our families and within our churches if we want to be able to, to navigate this internet age. Um, or even just the world as it is, where everywhere you look, there are things that are intended to sexually arouse and to rope you into this problem. And by a culture of grace, I, I'm, I'm thinking about a culture that, of transforming grace that can equip uh, people to be able to navigate this. There's a man named Rodney Wright who, who said in a talk once that religion hasn't always helped because of its silence or because of its lack of training how to see sexuality in a positive way. And this is a really sobering fact. Um, and I, I know of, of people actually who haven't found answers in the church, haven't been equipped to deal with this problem. So they've actually had to go to secular um, organizations and sources to, to help them gain freedom from this problem. And I think that's really sad. I, I know that we as a church um, can have the tools and ability to, to help people navigate this problem. So first of all, thinking about your family, um, there's a book by Rodney Wright that I read last year called How to Talk with Your Kids About Sex that I highly recommend. Um, and some of the ideas that I give here are drawn from that book. There are lots of other good books, I'm sure, about how to make your family um, a place of yeah, e equipping and grace uh, to navigate the world. But the first thing I'll say that that just should be a no-brainer um, for anybody that has children and wants to keep their, their children safe is that you need to shield children. Uh, children are not able to, on their own, um, navigate all, all the things they might see um, or experience in the world. You, you need to shield children and know what they access. So if your children are, are using electronic devices, or the internet in any way, um, which I, I think most children are nowadays, you need to um, put on, uh, install on, on your all your devices, uh, software such as Covenant Eyes, which uh, blocks objectionable sites and um, apps and, and all that, and gives uh, a report of, 
of what um, websites were accessed and also accountable to use another good one that I use. It doesn't actually block anything, but it gives a report of, of what they're looking at. So you, you need to, you need to know what they're accessing. You need to shield your children. Um, if, if you think about it in this way, that, that you're in a, in a large building and on one side is all is where your family is and, and all this good stuff. And on the other side of the building is just this huge stash of pornography. And you're not just gonna go along in life um, allowing that to, to continue. Otherwise your children will like walk over sometime at least out of curiosity and, and stumble upon it. You're gonna build a wall uh, down the center of that building to, to keep your children from, from ending up on the other side of that building. And the internet is the same way. We don't think about it, it uh, as, as much but it's just these things are, are at anybody's fingertips and especially um, curious children um, without really having, um, without, without really trying almost, uh, just out of curiosity can end up somewhere um, where they see pornography and then it, it uh, destroys them, it hurts them and can draw them into this addiction. But shielding, shielding and, and blocking um, access to this stuff is not, is definitely not the full answer. Um, it won't prepare your children to, to navigate the world where they inevitably will, will come across this stuff someday. Uh, so I think just as important as that, maybe more important um, than that first one is, is to train your children and, and equip them. First of all, you need to educate, you need to be educated yourself. Um, know what's out there, know how to to navigate the world yourself and pursue your own health if you're not healthy um, sexually and if you have problems yourself you're just gonna pass those on to your children um, so first of all you need to you need to become healthy yourself and educate yourself on on um, what's out there and then foster deep connection with your children that naturally results in positive training and these are some points from the book that I recommended that are really strong. That uh, first of all, with your children, it's really important to bond with them. And this can start very young, just by rolling around on the floor and, and, and being with them that way. Um, but creating these spaces where you can, you can bond emotionally with your children. And then there's intimacy. Know, know your children and, and allow them to know you. Know what they're thinking. Um, know their thought, their feelings, what they're feeling, and, and be intimate with them in healthy ways. And then also vulnerability. So if you want your children to be vulnerable with you and to share um, their thoughts and feelings and their struggles, then you also need to be vulnerable with them in a wise way, but kind of create this culture within your home um, where there's this deep connection. And then you need to be available and present. So if you're not available for your children, if you're not present in the home, then your children aren't, you know, they can't come to you to find answers. Uh, they're going to go to their peers, they're going to go other places where they'll get misinformation and um, that will only cause them to, to spiral down places they didn't want to go. So be available and present. Also welcome questions. And here's where the the educate yourself part is really important. You need to be prepared uh, to have answers for your children. Sometimes they'll ask you a question that completely catches you off guard and your you're like mind is somewhere else and you're doing something else and they'll just come up to you and, and pop this question. 
And the temptation is is often to say, hey, don't ask that or we want to talk about that or that's not. Yeah, just just to kind of shut them down right away. But that's that's like the worst thing that you can do. Um, we need to always be be prepared to give an answer to every man. And that includes your children when they come to you with questions about their sexuality, about maybe something they saw that they're unsure how to what how to deal with, maybe something that happened with their friends. Um, some inappropriate touching or whatever, they need to be able to um, to come to you and ask, and you should be ready at any time to, to give them answers and to educate them, to tell them what's honorable um, and what's dishonorable and how they should use their bodies well. This goes along with the, the last point here to train, don't shame or punish. So often our reaction when our children are doing something we didn't want them to do is to immediately shame them and and punish them. However, your children don't know. They need to be taught uh, how to handle themselves, and they're going to make some mistakes. Um, there's going to be some things that happen that that upset you because you didn't want your children to do that. You didn't want them to see that, to experience that. Um, but but take but let your first reaction be um, to to use that moment as a moment of training. Uh, to tell them this this is what um, you know is wrong with this. Um, this is how you should respond next time. Uh, you need to just leave that situation and come and tell me. It's a very important thing to allow your child to know that they should always always come and and talk to their parents about what they're experiencing. Never keep anything hidden. So yeah, this I think this these things here can result in a culture of grace and equipping within the family so that um, they know how to navigate the world. Talk about um, that sign beside the road. Um, you know, what, what does your child think about it? And, you know, educate them on, on what, what it's talking about, um, the, the sin that, that's there. And, and so that, yeah, rather than just ignoring things and, and pushing everything down and making it a very shameful thing to talk about, I think that we should be able to have open conversations about sexuality um, in our homes, even with very young children. It's not enough just to do the the 12 or 13 or 14 year old talk where you tell your children about their bodies. Well, well, I think that's important. I think it needs to start at age two and go all the way indefinitely. Um, you should be able to have conversations and just use day-to-day -day life um, to teach them how to handle themselves in, in an honorable way. So that's a culture of grace within family. What about church? Uh, and I want to ask, is your church a culture of grace or a culture of shame? So shame is, is a thing that produces this secrecy and isolation that, that really keeps people um, continuing on in their unwanted sexual behavior. So what is shame? And I, this quote always helps me think about what shame is um, and contrasting it with guilt. So guilt says, I did bad. Shame says, I am bad. So this is a lot about our, our beliefs about, about ourselves. Shame, I think, is, is often a result of unconfessed sin plus Satan's lies about who we are. Uh, often people caught in in bondage to shame think that they're a horrible person. Um, they'll they'll never be able to overcome this problem. 
they'll never be able to tell anybody or they'll be completely ruined. People will lose all respect for them and and therefore they just, they they vow never to let anybody know what's going on. And I think that a, a, the, a church atmosphere can actually contribute to this kind of culture. And I don't have all the answers here, but I think it's a great question for you to be asking and thinking about. Um, how can we create a, a culture of grace and transformation rather than a culture of shame that, that keeps everything hidden in the background? Shame then becomes the shackles that hold men and women in bondage to their unwanted sexual behavior. So just some ideas here on how to create a culture of grace. And when I talk about grace here, I'm, I'm talking about at least these two aspects of grace, forgiving grace, uh, grace that is quick to forgive others and not to hold it against them um, or make them feel like a horrible person, um, and also transforming grace. So grace that, that has um, the tools and an ability to equip a person to overcome their problems. I think this is a big um, aspect of grace where it's, it's this, this generous helping um, of a person to overcome their problems rather than leaving them to figure it out on themselves. So some ideas here about how to create a culture of grace in your church is just to start the conversation in your church and, and maybe ask the question, you know, what is a positive, how can we develop a positive view of sexuality? And what does it mean to be healthy in this way? And how can we talk about it in, um, in appropriate ways? I think too often we're, we're afraid of talking about, about these things and we think it's, we think it's just inappropriate, but um, question those um, those mindsets and think about what, what might be appropriate to talk about within your church. And then next is go first and tell your story. So I've seen firsthand the power of, of story in, in other people's lives where if, if one person shares their struggle, um, it, it shows everybody else that we're not alone in this. Um, we all struggle with this. And then if you share you know, testimony of struggle and victory. It also gives hope. Uh, people know that uh, we don't have to stay stuck in this, but as we band together in, as a community, we can overcome. We can overcome together. So tell your story. And then this is a big one, reward honesty. So often um, I've, I've seen this where there, there is a sexual sin confessed uh, within the church or within a group of brothers or something. And the room becomes really quiet and, and people get these depressed looks on their faces and, and, and rightly so, but um, it, often people don't know how to respond. They don't know what to say. And, and then they try to change the subject as, as quickly as possible because they don't really know how to talk about this. That's not rewarding honesty. That's the person that confessed that that sin is just going to vow never to to say this again because of what a horrible experience it was. Uh, so reward honesty, thank the person for, for sharing um, and, and for, for their honesty and openness and continue the conversation. Talk about um, maybe your own struggle, talk about, about ways in which we can gain freedom or things that might've led to that problem. Um, just be open and, and willing to engage people and to reward their honesty. And this last one's probably the most important um, is to cultivate environments that encourage 
true intimacy. So just going to, to church on Sunday and maybe on a Wednesday prayer meeting, uh, listening to the preaching is not, is not enough discipleship. It is a form of discipleship, but we need a whole lot more of that in the church if we're going to, if we're going to have the grace to overcome um, powerful problems like internet pornography, for example. What we need is relational discipleship, is person-on-person discipleship where we're walking really closely beside each other to to help each other in our struggles. So probably the best best way, best start to do this um, is to create small groups within your church. You can call them accountability groups or discipleship groups or leadership development groups as as we call them here at Followers of the Way. Um, but basically, this is a space where, where we can be very vulnerable and completely 100% open about our struggles and, and, share, and share them with, um, for, for myself, would be other brothers, and to, to speak kind of back and forth, to help each other think through, like, what, how, why might this be happening, and to be accountable on on different ways that you're planning to to overcome this problem or different habits that you're going to be trying to build into your life. It's it's a really good way to cultivate spiritual disciplines and to be accountable and open on how you're doing in that. Um, But to to create this space that encourages um, real intimate relationships where people can, without fear, share their hearts to people that they trust and that it can be a place where you where you not only just share, but you also receive feedback from others. And um, I've just I found in groups like this a lot of really really important ideas that I would never have thought of myself. The other brothers have been able to share with me and exhort me on. So I think this relational discipleship aspect is one of yeah the most important as- ways in which you can develop a culture of grace in your church to to equip yourselves to, to navigate um, the world as it is today and the internet. So now I, I wanna talk about, about some tools. Um, and, and I framed it here as, as means of grace and hopefully you can understand how I'm using that. Uh, my dad told me way back uh, when I came to him in desperation that th- this was really encouraging to me that God is going to see the efforts that and, and the things that I'm doing to try to overcome this problem. And he's going to reward those by, with his grace and giving me the power to overcome. Um, if I would just be sitting back and doing nothing, um, that there's no way that, that God's going to give his grace for me to overcome. But since I'm trying to put these tools into, into use and, and pursuing these things, then God's grace will be with me. So that's what I mean by tools as a means of grace. I think God has given us a lot of a lot of good tools um, to overcome. And as we put those into practice, his grace comes in and, and gives us the power to set us free. So we must have a plan. Um, we must take positive action or we will inevitably fail. Um, there's a book recommendation. If you'd like to do some more reading, this is one of my more favorite books on the subject 
called Finally Free by Heath Lambert, Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace. Um, I draw a lot of ideas from this book in this talk, as well as from uh, Pure Desire Ministries. They have a video course called Sexual Integrity 101. They have um, a lot of, of good books. Often, often in a lot of these courses, you do have to weed through um, problematic stuff. Uh, so there are, there are many good resources out there, and you just need to go searching, and you'll find resources that can give you a lot of good tools. But know that you just have to weed through, um, have to weed through the stuff and gain the the good out of it and spit out the bones. So I want to talk about a couple tools that I think are I, I've experienced and I think are some of the most important uh, tools that we can use to to overcome sexual sin in our lives. The first one is true repentance. Now, I want to start by saying what true repentance is not. It's not negative self-talk. So this is, this is something that, that's really uh, tempting when you're caught in this kind of sin and you find yourself going back to it again and again, is that you, you, start, you start punishing yourself with this negative self-talk um, because you're, you're trying, maybe you're trying to repent in some kind of way, but but um, you're just telling yourself what a stupid person I am. I'm just an idiot. I went back to this again. Um, and you kind of have this narrative going on in your mind for a while until the pain kind of goes away. Then you can start thinking more positively about yourself. Um, but this self-condemnation and this negative self-talk is very, very destructive. And I, re I remember clearly times in my life driving uh, home from town, just beating the steering wheel of my car and, and yelling and at myself angrily. And that only caused me to spiral worse into the problem that, that I was in. So um, it's not self, it's negative self-talk and self-condemnation is, is working against um, God actually in what he wants to do in your life. Much better to, to just fall on your face in prayer and, and faith that, that God's grace is enough uh, to change me. God's grace is enough to, to change me and to deliver me from the pit that I find myself in and to pray, to confess and to, to pray in faith uh, rather than just going through this negative self-talk. One aspect of of true repentance, and I think it's, it's super important here. I can't talk about all I can't um, give a, a full talk on repentance here, but what, this is probably, um, I think, the most important aspect of repentance, and that is godly sorrow. So 1 Corinthians 7, um, 10 to 11 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Now, there's five things from this passage that I want to highlight about repentance. We see that about godly sorrow. We see that it's, it's godly sorrow that brings 
this repentance that leads to salvation, whereas worldly sorrow only leads to death. And then he, um, Paul gives us these these fruits of godly sorrow, what, what godly sorrow actually produces to give us a clear idea of what godly sorrow mean. So first of all is this earnestness. So God, godly sorrow will, will be valiantly fighting for purity and fighting against um, pornography long after worldly sorrow has already given up the fight. Uh, so this earnestness is just this, this fighting over the long haul. The second thing is eagerness to clear yourselves. So godly sorrow will be really, really quick to, to confess. It won't wait. Um, godly sorrow will be very open, will bring everything into the light, not trying to sugarcoat um, the problem. And godly sorrow will be quick to put, put an action plan in place to, to um, clear yourself, whereas worldly sorrow won't be really pursuing any of these things. The third thing is this indignation and alarm. Godly sorrow actually hates the sin, whereas worldly sorrow is only concerned about the consequences and how they cause me pain. Um, then there's this alarm. A godly sorrow will, will see the sin and how horrible it is in relation to God's holiness, and it will be alarmed because God is so holy and because of how the sin contrasts with it. So the fourth thing is this longing and concern, and how I'm interpreting that is that there is this, this zeal to restore all those relationships that might have been broken or those hurts that was caused by your actions. Um, there's this longing and there's this concern to, to have relationships restored. And then the final thing I highlighted is this readiness to see justice done. So true godly sorrow will embrace the consequences of your sin, not try to, to get around the consequences. It will be ready to see, to see justice done, even if that um, causes hurt and pain in your own life. It won't try to, to get around the consequences. If we do this, we prove ourselves to be innocent in the matter. So this is, I think, what we should really, really be trying to pursue in our own lives. And um, there, there's two things I recommend as, as we think about this. First of all, uh, write down the real reasons for your sorrow. Think back to the last time you fell and, and just write down, why, why was I feeling sorrow? Was it uh, because of, of the fear of the loss in my life, like loss of my own reputation, loss of my family or of my securities or my comforts? Um, was it, yeah, where, where do I see this worldly sorrow in myself? Write it down, um, be honest about it, confess it uh, to, to others. And so you're just getting this out into the light. And then number two is meditate on scriptures and, and plead to God for his transforming grace to, to, um, so that you can be free from worldly sorrow and have this true godly sorrow. There's a lot of great scriptures, Psalms, um, Titus 2, 11 through 15, is a great one talking about transforming grace. Um, but you can meditate on these scriptures and hopefully over time develop uh, this godly sorrow that, that sees 
um, sin in, in the same way that God sees sin. Now, this true repentance was something that, that came long and hard for me. And I remember a time when I decided to, to take, I, I noticed that, that there was still just a tiny little, tiny little corner of my heart that still loved the sin. I didn't want to like say goodbye to it forever. And, and that um, was really, really harmful. I noticed that I didn't have this full, complete repentance. And so I, I took um, two hours every Sunday to just go by myself and to just plead with God for a, a full and complete repentance and just to, to try to repent and, and pour myself out before him. And over that, that time period, I really believe that, that God and his grace um, did give me a much fuller and complete repentance. And I'm still, still seeking after this. Um, even last night as I was preparing this talk, I was, I was thinking about this and just repenting again for the sin and asking God to take away any small piece of inside of me that still loves the sin. <clears throat> so true repentance. The second thing, um, tool that I want to talk about is effective accountability. Galatians 6 verse 1 to 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So while the word accountability is, is not to be found in the Bible, there's a lot of scriptures you can go to that kind of describe what accountability should look like. So if someone's in a sin, um, others who, who are walking by the Spirit, who are walking in victory, should help that person, help, help restore him in a gentle way, um, and that they should, we should be carrying each other's burdens, um, walking alongside with each other, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So effective accountability is really important. There's um, four points here that I think are very important if you want to if you want accountability to to actually be effective because I think there is such a thing as ineffective accountability as well. So first of all, effective accountability should be involved early rather than late. So it's a problem if if accountability, even if it's you know once a week, it's a problem if, if it only becomes just basically reporting um, sin that, that has already happened. So sin, yeah, just, just reporting on sin that's already been committed isn't, isn't effective. To, to be effective, accountability should be involved throughout the week. The person who is struggling should be reaching out even um, when he's starting to experience temptation. Um, if he does fail, like immediately following um, to just have a person walk alongside him to help him repent and to be restored. Um, but yeah, to be effective, accountability should should happen even before before the sin to prevent it rather than it just being reporting on it later. The second thing is that it, it must include someone mature, someone who can be a spiritual leader. So I was once part of an accountability group and and the, we were just trying to do what we what we could. It was the only thing we knew to do. But it was 
um, a group of young guys all about the same age. And um, we came together every week and we were all really, really struggling and we'd all confess that we failed again this week and we prayed for each other and went home. And unfortunately, we didn't, we didn't get um, very far together. It, it was better than nothing, but we didn't get very far because we didn't have somebody who was mature. We didn't have somebody who was living in victory um, who could be a spiritual leader for us and who could um, call out things that, that we needed um, to change if we wanted to gain freedom. So this is very important. You can reach out to, to an older person in your church or, or even your pastor. Just make sure that your accountability involves someone like this. The third thing is commitment. So if you want accountability to be effective, you need to be willing to, to invest a lot of time and energy into it. You need to stay connected throughout the week. Uh, so just once a week isn't going to be enough. Um, you need to be calling each other. Um, there, I've for a while um, had different different part, allies, um, but we, we call each other or check in uh, basically every day. And um, th- this this is um, just a lot more helpful than than just this once a week thing because if you do it once a week, you can still kind of isolate the rest of the week. So staying connected throughout the week and then over the long haul. So you can't just do this for a couple months and then you're done. Um, you need to be willing to invest in other people over the long haul. So the fourth thing here is then to carefully track negative and positive habits over time. So I think it's important to have um, a good way of tracking. I like to use Google spreadsheets um, or things like that to, to just every day mark down how did I do on these different habits, things that I'm shooting for, and um, not only track that I didn't didn't look at pornography, I didn't fantasize, I didn't do this, but also to have these positive habits that you're habits that you're trying to to build, such as quality conversations with other people. Um, how much sleep did I get last night? Did I was I in the Word, prayer, and fasting? And there's there's other uh, positive habits that um, I think for accountability to be effective. We need to be tracking those well and, and be accountable on, on these different habits that you're building into your life. So effective accountability. The third one here is to take radical measures. And the scripture is very familiar, but I'll read it. Matthew 5, verses 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you that you lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, yeah, this is a familiar scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. Just just three things that that I want to point out is that we see here a serious standard. So Jesus says that even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. We see here that Jesus is saying we need a serious strategy. So um, here he's using the example of of taking out your eye and throwing it away or cutting off your arm. Um, Obviously not meant to be taken literally, and yet it's it's giving this idea that um, you need to take these radical measures. You need to have a serious strategy to overcome it. and because there are serious stakes. So if we don't um, put the strategies in, 
if we don't cut off the sin, then it's going to destroy us. It's going to lead us into hell. So cut it off. Um, Heath Lambert says that many people struggle with pornography because simply because it's so easy for them to get. Um, and it's a really sobering thing that often we want to be free from pornography, but we tend not to be willing to um, to cut off access to it. So there, there's three ways in which I think we can take these radical measures to cut it off. And these, these are um, kind of based off of Heath Lambert's book. Heath Lambert would say that um, there's three things that come, when there's three things that come together, we will look at pornography. If the desire is there, if, if it's anonymous and if it's available. So the desire, anonymity and availability, if those three come together, then we'll look at pornography. So we need to work at taking radical measures to, to cut off these things. So I'll start with our, our thinking. Um, and yeah, this is maybe a little bit harder to think about how do we cut off um, the things that happen in our mind. Uh, but I, I think, I know that this one is really important because our brain gets really cloudy in a time of temptation. And the, the, the limbic part of our brain, which is the part that, that just causes us to do things, it, it, it's automatic. You don't, you don't use the logical part. That part kind of takes over, and the logical front part of your brain kind of goes into the background often in these times of temptation. And so the, the habits the, that you've built into your life will just, will just come out without you actually logically thinking through them. That's why you go back to um, the things that you say you're never going to do again. You just go there again and again. So it, it's really necessary to, to, um, yeah, to change our thinking and to take radical measures um, in how in our minds. So probably by far the most important here will just be immersing ourselves in in the Word of God through um, Scripture memorization and meditating on Scripture. Philippians 4, 8, um, thinking on things that are pure and good and lovely, uh, et cetera. And, and by doing that, we're actually going to be rewiring our brain um, to, to have proper reactions um, to lust. And so by, by taking this positive action of memorization, we're, we're cutting off um, the, the bad things in our mind that, that lead to lust. So the next thing is to to build habits and and knee jerk reactions to lustful thoughts. So um, if if our brains kind of go into automatic mode in times of temptation, we need to have we need to have these habits and knee jerk reactions that are good. Um, so you can kind of have a maybe a pre designed prayer that you always pray when when a lustful thought comes into your mind or when you see something um, that you just automatically pray, start praying this prayer. It could be in a prayer of repentance. Um, it could be a scripture that you've memorized that you just, you just have there and you automatically have this habit of just quoting the scripture to yourself whenever a lustful thought comes. Or it could be an immediate reaction to, to um, call somebody and, and ask for help. Uh, so yeah, take radical measures to um, in, in your thinking and the way that you use your mind. The second thing is time. So because, yeah, pornography is so powerful because a lot of it is anonymous. So 
probably the, the most important thing here is just to limit the time that you spend alone. So if, if you're, if you're sitting um, beside your, your pastor or your wife or somebody like that, like you're not going to be looking at pornography. Um, it's, it's when you're alone and you're isolating. So you can take radical measures. You can, um, when you know you're going to be alone in the evening, you can invite over a friend or you can go be with a friend or, or just go, go somewhere where there's people. Make sure that you're not alone um, just to eliminate those times. The third thing here is access. So this is a really big one. This is what a lot of people think of right away when they think of taking radical measures. Um, but yeah, we need to make pornography um, difficult to get to. The reason why this one alone doesn't isn't going to work on itself is that it's it's basically impossible to to 100% cut off access or availability. Uh, if, if it were possible, we wouldn't really struggle with it anymore. Um, but it is very important to to make it as difficult as possible to get to. And there's all kinds of things that you can think about to do here. It might mean uh, getting rid of your smartphone and, and getting a so-called dumb phone. Um, it might be just getting rid of internet um, completely for, for at least a time. Or, um, of course, installing accountability software on your devices um, to make it difficult to get to. Some people, when they go traveling, they get the TV removed from their hotel room. Um, take radical measures, whatever, whatever it takes, accountability on bank statements or whatever it means for you um, to, to make it access difficult to get to. We have to take these measures. Um, a lot of people who have done this and have done only this and they've seen that, ah, this doesn't work in the future, they say, you know, hey, just, you know, putting on these these blockers on my phone or accountability software doesn't really work, so I'm not really going to do it. Um, it's kind of missing the point. It's it's meant to be only it's meant to be one of the tools that we put into place. If we don't put this one in place and and we're really um, struggling deeply, then I don't really believe that we're going to gain freedom. You have to be willing to implement all the tools that are available to us. All right. So the fourth one here is gratitude, and it might be surprising that this is such an important one, but I think it is. Um, and Paul writes about it in Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 4. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual morality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather giving of thanksgiving. But rather thanksgiving. So we see here that Paul is saying there shouldn't be any sexual morality or impurity, um, this foolish talk or anything. Um, these are all out of place, but he gives us a solution. Instead of these things, we should give thanks. And I think that um, covetousness and greed is at the root of all sexual morality. And we could do a lot in exploring this theme, um, but I'll let you dig into that on your own. So what can we do? We can make a huge list of things you're thankful for and revisit it, look at it periodically just to stay thankful and grateful. Always begin prayers and thanksgiving. You can start and end each day by writing down specific things that you're thankful for that day. Something that, that I try to do that's really powerful. But use gratitude and giving of thanks um, as a tool to fight pornography. So those were those were the tools that, that I'm recommending, and um, I'm going to just try to go quickly here yet through some some other practical things that I've learned along the way. 
I think it's really, really important that we have a plan of action. So I want to ask you, what, what is your plan of action? And um, I, I'm giving this talk as if um, people here are actually struggling with this problem, because I think there probably are some here. If you're not, I'm certain that there's somebody you know, um, somebody close to you who is struggling that you can share these, these tools with. So plan of action. First um, Peter 1.13 says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. One thing that, that I found really beneficial from, um, I learned this from Pure Desire Ministries, is this three circles exercise. So you can kind of do this exercise on your own. Um, in the middle of, of the middle circle, uh, basically to define what sobriety is um, and ask yourself, what what is a relapse? So it could be pornography or masturbation or flirting or, or some kind of fantasy or something, but write that down in, in the center circle. And then in the middle circle, um, write down the guardrails. What guardrails have I set in place so that I don't get to um, a relapse? And here's where you might have the accountability software. Here's where you might have the plan not to be alone um, or to call someone at a certain time. Um, just all the guardrails that you've set in place to keep you from going there. And the outer circle is, is what is health? I think this is a really important question that a lot of people miss, but um, super important to know what we're actually shooting for. What does it mean to be healthy um, in, in our sexual integrity? So this could mean um, that relational discipleship, that close accountability with other people, um, intimate relationships with other people could mean uh, getting a certain number of hours of sleep, uh, could mean uh, regular exercise every day, but I think it's important to define um, what what is health for us. So when we kind of have these things written down in a package, it just helps us to to process what we're doing and to be honest and realistic with ourselves and um, to, to clear up in our minds the plan of action that we have. Other parts of our plan of action that, that I've um, done for myself, I have a, a big document that kind of takes me through these things. Um, I can't talk about them too long, but one is the arousal template and, and escape plan. So um, think about what are the conditions that, that are usually in place that lead me to temptation. Um, look, you can look back at the patterns that have happened in the past. Um, so the, these conditions, these conditions could be that you're alone at home, that you're mentally exhausted, um, or that you're angry at someone, or um, you felt rejected by by peers. Um, you saw something provocative when you were outside. Um, basically, just be honest with yourself about what conditions are usually in place when this happens. And then write down um, the faulty core beliefs that that um, help you that make you spiral down this temptation. And I think this is this is pretty important place to to look back um, in your life and think about the most painful moments in your life and what faulty core beliefs might have might have come out of that. This is kind of the place of counseling in this. Um, it's very helpful to make certain connections and to think about what faulty beliefs you might have that, you know, I'm not desirable to real people um, or that what I do isn't, isn't going to affect anybody else. Um, no one needs to know. 
So yeah, just identify what faulty core beliefs you might have. Then write down the warning signs, like what, what kind of warning signs are there that mean you're just about to fall into a relapse. Uh, it could be that you start to scroll videos on social media. Um, it could be that you start to think in your mind about what ways could I bypass the accountability software, my devices. Uh, these are all like warning signs, like, oh, no, I'm about to, to fall. Um, and, then, and then write down like what could be the control stage. So this is just to gain control of the situation, to stop that whole mind fog and the place that you're going. could be things just like um, doing some deep breathing um, or prayer um, or mentally envisioning the, the consequences. And then what's your escape plan? I think this is, this is really important um, to kind of list down what your plan is for escape. It might be to call a brother um, or sister um, to have prayer. It might be to stay off your electronic devices for an hour, um, to go out, um, get some exercise, um, take a walk or something like that, or even just review this, this document that you're creating um, to, to have a, a, a real concrete escape plan. And then you have um, recovery plans. So what happens in the case of a relapse? I think it's really important to have a plan for these situations as well. Of course, first of all, you'll need to know what is a relapse um, and then and, and spell that out so you don't have to decide every time that happens, was it or was it not? Um, and then write down what your plan is for confession. And hopefully, you know, it'll be something like within 24 hours, I'm going to confess to these people and these people. Uh, natural consequences. This is really powerful thing to write down. Um, what are the natural consequences of a relapse? Things like marring the image of God in me, um, marring the image of Christianity, distancing myself from God, um, supporting this industry that's hurting so many families and people, even contributing to the, the um, human trafficking trade uh, by looking at pornography. You're doing that. Um, you're causing people pain and security, ruining relationships, um, causing yourself shame and maybe depression. You're, you're um, rewiring your brain for these destructive addictions. So these just writing down the natural consequences and, and thinking about them hard can, can um, be powerful in keeping you from going there. And then logical consequences. So maybe you decide that you'll do a couple of days of, of prayer and fasting afterwards um, or a media fast or something like that as logical consequences. So the, these, I know I, I really breeze through a lot of these things, but I want to at least get your mind working on, on what are different tools and plans of action that can be put in place that can help us um, navigate uh, the world that we live in and also to help us gain freedom from the sexual sin that we might be struggling with. So in summary, um, Sexual integrity is a matter of spiritual life and death, but unfortunately, the church is, is not doing too well. And the things that, that I talked about here are that we can cultivate this culture of grace, um, a culture that equips in our homes and in our church communities. And this means that um, we're really involved with each other. Um, we have intimate relationships within the church. We have open conversations about this subject, and we're focused on training and education rather than keeping quiet. Uh, secondly, we should implement all the tools that can lay hold of God's transforming grace. Um, so I certainly didn't list all the tools, but you can go and find them. Um, some of the important ones that I talked about are 
true repentance, um, godly sorrow, and this uh, effective accountability and taking these radical measures to to cut off the sin and then using gratitude um, to fight sexual morality. The third thing um, is to seek health, to have a clear plan of action, um, to actually do it and to implement it for the rest of your life, to have it something that that um, goes with you and keeps you strong the rest of your life. Uh, some of the things that I talked about there were the three th- circles exercise, arousal template and escape plan, and then the recovery plan. So I admit that I breezed through a lot of things here and I, I definitely took my time slot. So I would love to engage any questions you might have. And I know there's probably older, more mature brothers here. If you want to challenge anything that I said, um, I really welcome that as well. Um, so I'll turn the time back over to the moderator. Thank you. Yes, thank you, brother. Really appreciate your humility um, in your courage in grappling with this topic. And it's it's a it's a very I think it makes it difficult that it's a very personal thing. Um, it's something that we can do in, in secret. But it's good to have these conversations about it. And I think if I'm like anyone else on here, um, we can relate. Um, and it's it's tremendously encouraging to hear these words. We'll open it up for questions from any of you. Um, be thinking about that. I have one uh, to get us started. I understand that you work with some Harvard students in regards to this topic. Would you care to share a little bit about that? Sure. So what we do is we we have, um, they're probably about three or four month uh, modules that we go through and we use different resources. Um, we're actually going through the, the book that I recommended by Heath Lambert, Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace, right now in our groups. And basically what we do is we come together uh, once a week in a large Zoom room and it was actually um, a mixed group that comes there, but then we break off into into separate groups for the actual accountability sessions. We talk about what we learned on the book, and then we have we have these ways of of tracking our habits on a spreadsheet. Um, we're checking in with each other daily throughout the week. Um, so um, w- those of us who are maybe a bit more mature have um, basically an ally that that we check in with um, on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, that that's a little bit what we do. There's been some really great fruit. Our hope is that um, so far we, we've had mostly Christians coming, but our hope is that we can even engage with non-Christians and use it as, as a way to present the gospel and Jesus as the solution to the problems in the world. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you in that that service there. Um, Maybe while we're waiting for one to come in, I have another one. Just remind us again what those two programs were that you suggested for internet protection. Yeah, um, I think possibly the best one is Covenant Eyes. Okay. Um, I I know some people say it's a bit glitchy, but I think um, there there will be some frustration with about any software that you put on. 
because yeah. um, it's there to block things and you just have to work work with it. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's worth it in the end. The second one was actually the one that I use, um, accountability, accountable to you. Um, it doesn't actually block anything, but it sends detailed reports to an accountability partner and it will it will flag things um, on, on browsers or mm-hmm. apps that you're using. So there's more out there, but those are two that I recommend. I can see how that accountable would, um, would be helpful as well. If you know, there's other eyes on, on the things that you're doing, you know, on your life. Um, there was a question came in on the chat. What is the connection between pornography and supporting the illegal sex trade? Yeah, great question. So I, I, I'm actually not, I'm not sure what what percentage, but I think a lot of, or I know that a lot of pornography that's made um, is is it's not like those those men and women who are making the videos are doing these things willingly, but they've actually they're actually people who have been trafficked by others uh, for the purpose of making these videos and and basically, um, you know, it's making somebody a lot of money somewhere. Mm-hmm. So every time that you you watch a video, you're basically um, supporting that whole industry. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I'm not super educated on this, but, um, I know that, yeah, when, when you look at pornography, it might seem really harmless and, um, but what goes on behind the scenes is actually really sad and really terrible. Right. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for starting things related to relational discipleship and becoming um, vulnerable to each other as church brothers in a setting where that's um, more of a shame culture? What are some steps we can take? um, I'm sure it's going to have to happen one step at a time, but how do we start yeah, often when when um, we become excited about starting these starting small groups or something, there'll be there'll be a lot of people who aren't interested in doing it. Um, but you can probably you might be able to find at least enough people to make one or two groups, um, people who are interested in doing it, and then just start doing it with with those people, and you know share your testimony with others about about the benefits of of what you're doing and hopefully over time people will be able to to see how powerful it is in your life and it'll start catching on in your church so i would say just try to find a couple other um, brothers who might be interested and and start a weekly meeting and uh, talk you know ask each other how you're doing on things like the spiritual disciplines so the word prayer and fasting how you're doing on um, impurity and media use in general. Um, what kind of you know media are you looking at? How much time are you spending on it? Is it really a big one in a world today? And you can also ask each other things like, how are you um, engaged in things like evangelism or or discipleship within the church? Um, yeah, you can kind of create your own little list of things that 
that you want to talk about and also the just be an open time where you can hopefully learn to, to trust each other and to share the things that you're struggling with and um, yeah, and feel safe doing that. Yeah, they're difficult questions or difficult conversations to start, but we would do well to start grappling with these difficult issues um, sooner rather than later to help people. We have a couple also, more questions um, on the chat here. What is the ratio of pornography on technology devices versus magazines and such like? Can you speak to that? I don't know, but I don't know exactly what that ratio is. However, I think that um, while there is some on magazines and stuff, the, the amount of pornography on, on the Internet is just way, way more like... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think it, there's just tons and tons of it. If you, you don't have to go looking for it to find out. You can, you can go on websites that have statistics that talk mm-hmm. about it. And you're just going to be amazed at um, just that, that one quote at the beginning where 30% of the data that's downloaded from the internet has to do with pornography. That means that it's really, really, really huge. Um, mm-hmm. So magazines are becoming less common because they're not quite as anonymous. Like, you have to go see someone to buy it usually. And um, it's just, it's, it's harder to, to, to stash, um, even though it's been common in the past. Uh, a lot of people have come across pornography by coming across someone else's stash. Um, now, I think that's becoming a little less common um, because the internet is just such an easy way to access it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, another question that came in, is in regards to Paul's words, it says, uh, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot ex- exercise self-control, let, the, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. What does this mean practically? <laughs> well, I, I um, wasn't prepared to exegete right. that, <laughs> that passage. But, I mean, I think there I think there that Paul is being honest about um, the struggle that we have. We know that that Paul is is actually recommending in those chapters that we stay single for the sake of the kingdom of God. Uh, So I don't think that should, that scripture should cause us to say everyone needs to just get married to deal with this. Um, I'll say for, for sure that that marriage doesn't take care of the problem at all. So um, I, I, actually hurt my my girlfriend while she was my girlfriend and after we were married as well um and i i kind of assumed that the getting married would would take care of this problem um to to a certain degree um but i it didn't i don't think it 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 changed it at all like it um it's not a solution to to pornography however yeah it is if you are married delighting yourself and your wife is, is a great way is a, is a good, one of the things that you can do. Um, but yeah, it, Paul is still saying to, to stay single is better for the kingdom of God um, right. in the end there. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, a couple more questions here. Um, how about the pushback from church leaders when more accountability is needed and asked for? Um, what, what would your thoughts be on that? 
Yeah, so if if we're asking for for more accountability and and the church leaders are pushing back on that, um I I don't understand why they would do that unless they're kind of uncomfortable talking about the issue. Um I'm guessing that that there are very few very few church leaders who would push back on that, but maybe since the question's there that it that it actually happened, um you can you could find, you know, find someone, maybe someone else who you might look up to as as someone mature who would be willing to provide accountability. Um and if if all else fails, like yeah, peers, like I said, are not the best, but um it's still it's still helpful. You you should be able to find someone who's spiritually mature um, within the church that can provide accountability. If not, then um, you should yeah be thinking hard about your church probably and where right. It's yeah, I would agree with that. Um, accountability in the brotherhood can be a terrific aid, not just in this, but with so many areas of our lives, and it also builds relationship. And out of those relationships, as you mentioned. Um, how important relationships and discipleship can be for us to be a strong and pure church, uh, to rely on each other. Um, one thing, one point of strength would be to recognize our weaknesses and be willing to talk about them with someone else. Another question uh, that came in says, any ideas or advice on how to keep accountability groups from being dry or just a ritual? Yeah, that's a really good question. And often, I think there will be times when when they feel that way, like you're just asking the same questions and saying the same things. I think if if everybody's heart is in it, um, you're, you won't you don't necessarily need to to stick to to the same questions every single time. Um, you're going to go through through different struggles every week, and so kind of being willing to to share whatever struggles you are. Um, having that week w- and being willing to to change things up, change the structure up. Uh, I think I think if people, if you're all coming with the desire to to grow, you need to you need to be coming. Everyone needs to be coming to to the group with this desire to grow spiritually from where you're at to somewhere greater. So if we're just coming to like do the bare minimum and just to try to keep ourselves from going to this certain sin or something. Um, it might become dry, but we're all coming with this desire to like speak into another person's life, um, to grow in whatever way that I feel like God wants me to grow right now. Um, I think that positive vision will will keep it from becoming dry. Mm-hmm. I can see how coming into it with the idea of um, being there for your brothers and not so much just for yourself would take your um, put a different emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll take this one more question. I see we're at about 20 minutes past here. Any specific tips or resources for teaching children? You mentioned starting at age two. Yeah, so I recommended a book, uh, How How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex by Rodney Wright. And he has a really good uh, take on the whole thing. But also in the back of his book, he lists all kinds of other resources you can go to. Um, there, there are a lot of, of resources out there. I'll just point you to that one. Um, 
I don't I don't have a whole lot of other recommendations. Um, but you know, starting at age two, it's just it's just like telling them about their body and 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 use use the you know use the right language. Like, don't try to make up names for things and um, and, and confuse them in that way. But but actually tell them what's going on, what's happening to their bodies. And, you know, they, there's definitely an age appropriate way to, to, to do that. Um, Cause they're going to have, you know, these silly questions or, or run into these things and, and not to be ashamed to just, but, but to rather be prepared um, to talk about it to them in age appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's resources that you can go through with your children, like books that can help them understand like, what's appropriate and not appropriate. Um, I'm still, I, I have a long ways to go here. I'm still learning, but um, that book has been really helpful for me. Mm. That's great. Yeah, thank you for sharing so many practical tips um, on this. But um, yeah, I think that's it for the questions this morning. Um, God bless you for for being open and humble and willing to share in this way. Um, You've definitely challenged each one of us to be very intentional with our lives in this area and to be open to be uh, engaging with people in regards to this. Because if we had the wrong approach, we tend to drive these things underground where they can, you know, you wouldn't have to deal with it for quite as long of a time maybe, or, you know, let's, uh, let's, foster a culture where we can, I guess, a grace culture where people can be comfortable. Um, It's well, not comfortable. That was the wrong word, but be free to share the struggles that they're having in regards to this and any sin for that matter. Um, Because Christ says, come unto me, you are labored and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I think that's the longing of all of our souls to find rest in regards to the, the things that we struggle with um, and our temptations. And I really appreciated the emphasis on the, the practical things that we can put into place, the memorization of scripture, um, you know, recognizing our weaknesses or maybe the triggers and things like that. It just shows a very intentional, purposeful um, way of going about this so that we can live in victory and be a pure church and lift each other up. Um, So praise the Lord for that message and God bless you for sharing that with us this morning. Before we close, um, I have an announcement for next weekend, uh, March 27th. We're going to welcome Pablo Yoder. It's going to be a special event. We have a meeting at six o'clock Eastern time in the morning. Um, he's going to be speaking on the power and the purpose of enemy love. And then in the afternoon session at three o'clock, it's going to be stories of enemy love. And just a note for the afternoon session that will be, um, children friendly. So bring your families and I'm sure he's going to have a lot of interesting things to share with us and, um, some interesting things to show us in that. And then the following weekend, April 3rd, we're going to welcome Clyde Zimmerman, and he's going to talk about the underreached people group next door. So expect to be challenged on that topic as well. Well, thank you all for joining us this morning. Um, 
God bless you um, for coming on to hear about this topic. And let's pray for each other so that we don't grow faint in the uh, in the battle against sin. Um, Brother Tim, would you mind closing us with prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful that you sent Jesus, your son, into this world to show us what the perfect human looks like, to show us how we can imitate God. We're thankful that Jesus died on the cross and took upon himself consequences of our sin. He was buried, that he rose again, and now he is seated at your hand, your right hand as king. I thank you that we also can be buried with Christ and resurrected to a new life and that we can be set free from these sins that hold us in slavery. We are no longer slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness and to God with the end resulting in eternal life. And I just pray that um, each of the, the brothers and sisters on this call would be able to um, think about how to develop a culture of, of grace uh, in their homes and in their churches and that they would know where to find the tools that we can use to to live a life of sexual integrity in in our world today and that by doing so we can be shining lights and proclaim to all the world what it looks like when we obey the king may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth just like it is done in heaven I pray in jesus name amen thank you brother thank you all for joining us this morning and we're looking forward to our special event next weekend go with god and may his grace um, be experienced by each one of you have a wonderful day. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend.